I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VSN, the sports betting network. Hey, what up? And welcome into a Monday edition of The Edge. The day after the regular season, we're all done in the National Football League, Matt Humans. Week 18 in the books, wildcard weekend is going to be here in just about five days. But we have a lot to get to. National Championship game later today. Paul Stone's going to be with us in 15 minutes from now. College football handicapper extraordinaire. We'll get his thoughts on what is going to go down between Georgia and Alabama in a title game we did not see coming after a wild regular season. (laughs) But we begin with the end of the regular season in the National Football League. And literally the end. The final game of the night. Sunday night football. Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers. How can we not? You and I were live on the air during the opening lines uh, for the pretty much the entirety of the fourth quarter and the entirety of overtime. What a game last night. And you keep coming back. There's a lot of things to come back to. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty good way to end the regular season. Save the best for last. I really oh, yeah. think that was the best game of the regular season, and it was the last one. You know, we were talking about this with Chuck Esposito last night. What were the best games of the entire season? I think that opening Thursday night game, Cowboys-Buccaneers, was an awesome game. How about the opening Monday night game, Ravens at Raiders? How wild yep. is that? But it was, uh, it was a wild night in Vegas, and it was uh, a crazy week 18. I'm not sure how super wild card weekend can top what happened yesterday in the NFL, but uh, we move on after we recap Chargers-Raiders because Brandon Staley, not a big surprise. Some of his decisions made Twitter blow up last night. Uh, yes, so I think uh, the first of which, and this is the easy one to get out of the way, the fourth and one from their own 18-yard line that the Los Angeles Chargers attempted when they were down three in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of statistical models that you look at, I think every single one that I found, said that you know the right, the right move, we'll put in air quotes, or the one that increased your win probability the most was to go for it on that fourth down. We'll call it the right move. The one that increased your win probability the most was to attempt to go for it on that fourth down. And I would also add, Matt, because this is the other thing you don't think about, right? Because everybody says, you don't ever think about what happens if you don't make it. Okay, well, yeah, you do, actually. And what happens is if you don't make it, then you hold that other team to a field goal. That's exactly what the Los Angeles Chargers did. Right. And the Los Angeles Chargers were still able to force overtime in that contest despite going for it, failing, and giving up a field goal on the ensuing drive. So I think while a lot of people disagree with it, I think you also saw it play out in terms of, you know, all of the results. You take that into account and you realize that, hey, you know what? Even if we don't get it, we hold no field goal. We'll be perfectly fine and still able to get back into this game. Well, okay, if you know you're going to hold the other team to a field goal if you don't get it, that's one thing. But well, you, you don't know. You don't know you're going to allow a touchdown. I, I don't like that decision by Staley. And uh, I know it increases your win probability by 3%. Mm. But also decreases your win probability by 16% if you don't get it. Right. And what's really the reward? You talk about risk-reward. What's the reward if you get it? So you have a first down at the 19-yard line on your own 19. Right. Well, it's and, not that big a deal. And but. I think that comes into one of the other topics, which is, you know, it's so binary, right? Like, go for it. Like, model says go for it because it increases your win probability. Right. Model doesn't say run up the middle with Austin Eckler. And like, that's those the other are, thing. Yeah, those are the other issues yeah. that I think that you really take umbers with. You look at it as my didn't love problem. the play call. Hated the play call. Right. Uh, that was my biggest problem with the whole thing. So you're going to take that big a chance 
And some would say, well, you're not taking a big chance. You increase your win probability. But if you're just going to run the ball up the middle, uh, I think it's a foolish decision to go for it at that point. But Brandon Staley's uh, defense got him off the hook by forcing the field goal. That's not uh, the one I want to harp on because I, I think a lot of people are misguided in their criticism of his timeout in the final minute, and I think there are a couple different ways to look at the timeout. Yes. Really quickly, uh, just to go for it, because you mentioned it, just the last numbers on this fourth and one, according to one model, like you said, if you just go for it, your win probability um, increases by 3%. Now, according to this model, success rate or percentage of probability of succeeding on that play, 71%. So if you succeed, your win probability goes up to 49%. But if they failed, which they did, win probability dipped to 32%, to your point on that. But now we're talking about the play, or the moment of the game, which, of course, is the final drive of that contest last night in overtime. Las Vegas Raiders have the ball. Uh, they run it on first down. They run it on second down. The clock mm -hmm. is tick, tick, ticking away. You're under a minute left. You're approaching about 38 seconds, and there's four seconds left on the play clock when Brandon Staley decides to burn a timeout. Stop the clock. The next play, the Raiders run it for 10 yards, and they then kick the field goal, with, you know, run it down to two, burn a timeout, then kick the field goal to win the game and move on to Cincinnati. And apparently... Staley's timeout was the reason why the Chargers lost that game last night. It's not the reason the Chargers lost the game, and I, I'm not going to criticize Staley for the timeout, but I do think it backfired in a way right. that he couldn't have predicted because I don't think Brandon Staley knew the Raiders were disorganized at that point and really didn't know what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that time, that extra time, allowed Rich Passaccia and the Raiders coaches to kind of get their thoughts in order and uh, realize what they should do. I, I I watched it again last night. I think the Raiders were a little bit discombobulated there. They were almost, should we let the time run out? Should we just play for the tie? Or what should we do? And during the timeout, they figured it out. First of all, before the game, you have to know if we tie tonight. What the scenarios are. We go to Kansas City. If we win, we go to Cincinnati. So we want to win the game. I said this last night. It was important to win the game because if you go to Cincinnati, you're less than a seven-point underdog. If you go to Kansas City, you're an eight-and-a-half-point dog or more, you got a better shot of winning at Cincinnati. you got a better shot of beating Joe Burrow and the Bengals than you do uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on the road. So that's why I think it was important for the Raiders to win the game. But in that final minute before Staley called the timeout, I'm not sure if the Raiders' coaches were really sure what they wanted to do, and it seemed like they might have been inclined to play for the tie. Mm -hmm. Brandon Staley uh, put his best defense on the field during the timeout. Unfortunately, his defense gave up, what, a 12-yard run to Josh Jacobs that really helped the, the Raiders win that game. So I, I would the, the thing here's the things that have bothered me about the discourse from this from yesterday, right? The first one is the Derek Carr quote after the game, mm -hmm. which is you see the clip that is getting passed around in which he's asked, you know, did that decision change your strategy? And he answers Michelle Tafoya, yeah, it definitely did, obviously. And the video cuts off. <laughs> the video, of course, cuts off because right. the rest of his quote is, quote, but we knew no matter what, we didn't want to tie. We wanted to win the football game. Obviously, if you tie, you're in and all those things. But my mindset all day was to make sure that we were the only team moving on after this, end quote. That was Derek Carr, right? right? That's the thing that has bothered me. The other part of this is, too, is when you're looking at this, because I, I've seen, well, you know, no, the Raiders didn't want to go to Cincinnati. You remember what happened last time? Cincinnati scored 17 points in the final five minutes and three seconds when the Raiders all but just started to melt away and turn mm -hmm. the ball over. One of those touchdowns on a 27-yard drive. The other field goal was just with, like, what, a one-play driver that kicked it right away or something like yeah. that. Regardless, that was a very tightly contested game. If you're the Raiders – the best matchup is the Cincinnati Bengals for you, not the Kansas City Chiefs. No but, question. But I just think at the end of the day, something did change for the Raiders, but it wasn't the timeout. 
It was a 10-yard gain from Josh Jacobs yeah. that put them into like solid field goal range of the ultimately won. That's one thing. I think, you know, instead of criticizing Staley for that time, wow, you got to give Josh Jacobs a lot of credit for uh, because the Chargers had their defense set up the right way. One guy jumped out of the running lane. Josh Jacobs turns it into a first down, and all of a sudden the Raiders are going to win the game. It was a great run by and a great read by Josh Jacobs. I'm not sure the Raiders coaches had the right plan uh, before that timeout by Brandon Staley, but it's all – uh, people like to pile, you know pile on Staley and uh, criticize like him, him because he makes some controversial decisions. I, and, and again, I'm not I'm not buying in completely to uh, to his uh, fourth and one call on his own 18 yard line. I, I don't like that call, but especially don't like the play call. But the timeout at the end, I think he's catching a lot of unfair criticism for that one. Yep, I, I would agree. So with that in the rearview mirror, well, we do move on, of course, to next weekend and wild card weekend. And by the way, I will say that uh, that betting result last night, I had the Raiders plus three, and that was yep. the first bet I made last week. I did a head sum on the Chargers money line uh, last night. So it was a decent result, not a great result for me. But uh, I know a lot of bookmakers got off the hook because there were people playing the tie yep. at uh, odds of uh, you know 20 to one and higher. And it looked like that game was going to end in a tie in the final minute. And uh, the Steelers would have been out of the playoffs if that happened. I talked to John Avello of DraftKings today, and he said, great day for the book. And um, avoiding the tie in that game was a huge thing as well. He also said the wagering handle was off the hook in Week 18. Well, and because, too, like, let's talk about something really quickly because I think this is kind of lost. And it it was a great day. The, The games were fantastic. The results were wild, especially down to the very end. But I think this should be, for me, the point to take away from a betting perspective from last week to go through some of the results. Indianapolis had to win to get in. 16-point favorite right at one point during the week. Gets down to 14. Loses outright to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Tennessee Titans had to win to get the number one overall seed, right? 10-point favorite against the Houston Texans. They win, they don't cover. They actually close 11 in that game. Mm-hmm. Right? Like The list goes on. The Los Angeles Rams had to win to win the NFC West. Lose the game outright against the San Francisco 49ers. So it just, to me, it was, there was a lot of these situations we talked about throughout the week where these had-to-win situations, you're getting baked into these numbers, and these numbers are getting super high for you know, one reason or another. It doesn't ultimately work out a lot of the time. For yeah, the just because the team has to win doesn't mean they're going to win. Yes. And uh, the Colts pulled the biggest choke job of them all, losing <laughs> oh. to the Raiders and the Jags in the, in the final two weeks. And it's going to be a long offseason for Carson Wentz and Frank Reich. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, so we do have head coaching news, too. We have a lot because it is, of course, what is Black Monday? Um, to roll through these really quickly, we'll react to them as the show goes on. But, of course, the Bears have fired head coach Matt Nagy. No surprise. Ryan Pace, not surprising at all. And it was important to blow out Ryan Pace, too. Yes. Not just Nagy. Yes. You had to get rid of Pace. Yeah, the roster's a shambles, and they're not well coached. Vikings uh, fired head coach Mike Zimmer and their GM, Rick Spielman, which mm-hmm. uh, I would agree with. I, would, I, I think there's a conversation we had about Spielman. I think there's a lot of talent on that Vikings roster, and they very, very, un- they very much underwhelmed. Uh, a lot of that fell on Zimmer. But regardless, they clean house. Broncos. Fired Vic Fangio yesterday, as we know. That report came out. And then uh, the Dolphins firing head coach Brian Flores, which was pretty interesting because Flores, I thought, did a relatively solid job with the Miami Dolphins. He did a really good job. I know he didn't make a playoff appearance in three years. He was 24 and 25, but he took over a dismal situation. And uh, uh, he's the best of the coaches who got fired. I think Mike Zimmer is going to get another job, and uh, Brian Flores is definitely going to get another job very soon. Might get one of the openings uh, this season. But, you know, I, th- I think Flores's, uh dismissal comes down to office politics and it seemed like personality it. conflicts within the organization, things like that. And uh, I really, you know, 
to me, it's more of an indictment of the Dolphins from the top down than it is Brian Flores because look at the Dolphins ever won a playoff game since 2000. And if you're making personnel decisions on uh, relationships and unlike this guy, it kind of speaks to what the, what's going on with the organization too, right? Uh, by the way, is this true? Brian Flores, 4-2 and two in his career against Bill Belichick, yes. including the playoffs. He has the best record of any coach against the Belichick-era Patriots that since 2000. True. All right, Paul Stone joins us next. is the edge on VSN the sports betting network Hey welcome in remember you can stay up to date with free VSN podcast check all those things out huh VSN best bets where you get all your shows coast to coast hoops beating the book of Alexander my guys in the desert let's see Lombardi line not up there but active Hardwood Handicappers, new episode tomorrow. Check them all out, vcin.com slash podcasts. Speaking of the hardwood, um, I don't know if you were privy to the controversy in the basketball world yesterday, uh, but we are going. Uh, I'm going to bring this up really mm-hmm. quickly at the end of the show. Okay. But we got Paul Stone, who is with us now. Uh, we're not going to waste our time with the NBA with Paul. We've got stuff to discuss in Indianapolis because Georgia and Alabama will meet for the national championship online. Paul, good to talk to you. Appreciate it as always. Uh, so let's. Just, I wanted to start with this uh, because I think a lot of people will look at this on the surface and go, wow, Georgia was six and a half, seven point favorite the first time around. Now we're down to three here. Is that move from the number the first time around, is that apt? Was that number that first time that far off? Well, good to be on with you guys. And, and you know, I was watching the game there with uh, Matt Humans and some other luminaries uh, there in Vegas on uh, Saturday, December 4th at the uh, Circa. And one of the gentlemen there uh, asked me, you know, when that game was being played and Alabama was kind of boat racing Georgia there in the second half, he said, if they play again in the national championship game or in the semifinal, what would you make the, the line, Paul? And I said, I'd make it about two or two and a half Georgia is the favorite. So I think it's pretty – Pretty much spot on. You know, we had a closing line, as you said, of Georgia minus six and a half, a closing total of 49 and a half. And here we are still uh, holding steady at Georgia minus three, I think, as of about half an hour ago at most stores with a total of 52 and a half. So I think it's pretty much in the ballpark. I'm really surprised that the Alabama plus three uh, has stayed on the table for the most part. And, uh, you know, that that's pretty interesting. I thought by this time as the public money really flooded the market, I thought that it might be pretty much universally two and a half. But uh, I think the number's pretty much spot on. I played uh, half unit Alabama plus three, half unit Bama plus 130 in this game tonight. Did bet Bama the first time these teams played too. But like you said, JVT, I took six and a half and seven mm-hmm. with uh, the tide in that game. Paul? What do you think is going to be different about uh, the approach for each team, if you, if you had to guess, uh, when you look at this uh, game tonight? The first time around, Bama attempted 44 passes, ran the ball 26 times. It was kind of the reverse in the Cincinnati-Alabama game where Brian Robinson dominated on the ground. Uh, what do you think? Uh, Nick Saban's always got surprises. He's a master game planner. How do you expect to see this game unfold tonight? Yeah, you know, I think first of all, you know, obviously Alabama doesn't have John uh, Mitchie the third. Uh, they're kind of their number two receiver or one A behind Jamison Williams. So with him being out and the right side of the offensive line for Alabama also apparently a little bit banged up, but it's difficult to beat Georgia running the football. 
Uh, you know, they knew they could do it against Cincinnati. They knew they were big brother, and they said, hey, we're going to come in here, we're going to block you, we're going to run the ball down your throats and see if you can stop it, and they never really could. But this is a different animal, and I think Alabama's. you know Nick Saban's not going to come in with the same hand, uh, but uh, I think they're going to continue to, to throw the ball. They might not throw it 44 times, but I, I think they'll get in the, the mid to upper 30s. And somebody's going to have to step up for Alabama, you know, besides Jamison Williams. They're going to be giving him some extra attention. Uh, and a guy like Slade Bolden, uh, tight end Billingsley, uh, going to Robinson out of the backfield. They're going to have to have some other uh, some other guys step up and take up some of that slack. So, you know, from Georgia's perspective, uh, they obviously have to uh, kind of reassess and uh, kind of reconfigure their uh, their game plan. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. This is a very intriguing matchup. You know, it's interesting, too, when, when you have a wide receiver out, like Mechie's out for Alabama. I don't panic about things like that because I always feel like Bama's got enough talent at that position on the roster they can make up for his absence. You look at Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, uh, Paul and JVT, and you had mm-hmm. your top two receivers out, and Ohio State still had guys step up and didn't have any problems in the passing game, even without Wilson and Olave in Pasadena. I think Alabama can overcome that. Paul, I want to know um, why Georgia couldn't get more pressure on Bryce Young the first time. He passed for 421 yards and three touchdowns, no picks and no sacks. And I think that was one of the most surprising things is Georgia defensive front didn't get any pressure on Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, I think that's critical. I mean, obviously, if you let any guy, especially Bryce Young, just stand back there and have all day and have time to check down receivers and things like that, he's going to probably pick you apart. I think Georgia's got to be more aggressive defensively. Uh, They've got to, you know, try to to bring some people – here and there and, uh, you know, try to uh, get to the quarterback, at least get close to him. Uh, so that's going to be that's going to be critical. It's going to be, uh, you know, one of their, I think, one of their primary uh, elements of, of the game from the first game to this game that they're going to have to improve upon if they're going to have a chance to beat uh, to beat Alabama. That's, or George, I was about to say Stetson Bennett with us, <laughs> Paul Stone with us, uh, looking at the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. So, uh, you know, I'm more curious, Paul, too, what do you expect in terms of, like, this offense and this dynamic passing offense that we saw from Stetson Bennett and Michigan or against Michigan? Like, how sustainable do you think that performance is from Stetson Bennett from what you've seen from him all year long? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of the knock against Bennett's been that, uh, you know, if they get in a tight game against a championship caliber opponent like Alabama, that can he beat you in the passing game? Can he beat you in the downfield passing game? And I think they're going to, you know, he's going to have to, uh, you know, kind of carry over that uh, performance that he had against the Wolverines. And and one guy who's a potential game breaker, who's been hurt much of his career and virtually all of this season, who has to be getting healthier and who could be a wild card is George Pickens. I think he's only still caught, maybe played in two games this year, maybe caught a total of four balls, if I'm not mistaken. But Pickens is a guy who can go vertical. Uh, he could be kind of a surprise wild card for the uh, for the Bulldogs, and certainly that tight end, the true freshman tight end, uh, Brock Bowers. Man, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have many peers. That guy's a playmaker, so you, you'll be watching him as well. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. And another thing too, the the, the backside of the backfield, James Cook, uh, he caught a I think he called a touchdown pass, it seems like, against Alabama in the past coming out of the backfield. And he's a guy who is a, a very capable receiver swinging out of the backfield, can catch the ball, and uh, can run with it, obviously, when he catches it. So it's going to be interesting to see 
the different ways that he gets the ball to James Cook and to see if George Pickens indeed has a more prominent role uh, in the Bulldogs' uh, offensive game plan tonight against Alabama. Paul Stone Sports on Twitter and uh, catch the Paul Stone podcast as well. Great college football information in that every week. Paul, where's your money on tonight's game? I know you're a sharp totals guy. Did you play the total? And I don't know if you play many props. I don't play many in college football, but did you see any props that might stick out on the game tonight? Yeah, I'll hit these props real quick, Matt. I, I played uh, James Cook over 23 and a half uh, receiving yards, which, uh, you know, I kind of explained my position there. So I've got him over 23 and a half receiving yards. Uh, I think it's gone up a little bit. It was 23 and a half at Circa a couple of hours ago. I think, again, it has ticked up. I also played Slade Bolton, the Alabama wide receiver, over 39 and a half uh, receiving yards. That number was available at Westgate uh, an hour or so back. And then uh, I hate to lay minus 240, but I just look at it. Will either team score three straight times? And in the last nine national championship games, as we've become, I think congruent to that is the fact that it's become over that nearly decade span of time, it's become a more offensive game uh, due to rules changes and just the fact that I think all the talent gravitates to to the offense. But over the last nine years, there have been seven games where the team, one team scored three straight times or more, and also eight of the last nine championship games have produced 56 or more points. So I played the yes at minus 240. Uh, will a team score three straight times tonight? Uh, so that's where I am on three props. And then uh, when the lines came out, uh, when the teams were announced back on Sunday, December 5th, a couple of days later, I trekked over to Louisiana, and uh, they had all the hypothetical national championship games up. I played Georgia at Pitt uh, over Alabama in a look-ahead line that's come to fruition tonight. And then I came back and played Alabama plus three. So I'm kind of arbitraging in the game. I do have a little bit more, um, if I was going to recommend one side or the other to the uh, listeners, it would have to be Alabama plus three. You know, I do a lot of... Uh, pretty, you know, pretty close-up looks when I when I handicap a football game. I'll look at yards per carry versus defensive yards per carry. I'll look at yards per point. I might even dig deeper and look at net punting. You know, if it's a low point spread and a low total, uh, where I think game, uh, field position might be a key element. But in this particular game, it just comes down to the fact that it's not quite as sophisticated. Maybe Alabama's won seven straight over Georgia. Kirby Smart 0-4 against Nick Saban. Um, you know, you just have to wonder, does Alabama have Georgia's number? And we all know that a streak, um, you know, only ends one time, and it can continue for a while. So Georgia's not going to beat Alabama from here to eternity, but I'm not going to be uh, on the Bulldogs probably until they do. So just based on past history as much as anything and the fact we're getting three points, uh, my recommendation would be Alabama plus three. You know where to find them? Paul Stone Sports up on Twitter. Paul, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, you have a great uh, evening tonight watching the ball game. You too, man. Thank you very much, Paul Stone. All right, we'll come back. We have plenty left to get to. We can expand on this National Football League moves in the front offices and head coaches and much, much more. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network.
Hey, make sure you check out our big game, Big Dan Special. VEASAN.com slash big deal. Now through April 5th, 2022, only 69 bucks. Big game betting guide is going to be available. College hoops betting guide, daily best bets, 24-7 video access, betting split breakdowns of every game. Yeah, you heard that right, by the way. College hoops betting guide, still worth it, right? Getting into conference play now. Things are getting hot and heavy in the Big East, the Big 12, and all these other conferences. Mountain West, I don't think, has played a single game. I'm being facetious. They have, but there's just been a lot of cancellations. But check it all out. Beeson.com slash big deal. It was a big game in the Mountain West over the weekend. San Diego State beat Colorado State by 30. I was going to say, it was, uh, a, it was a big game, and then it tipped off, and you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> that doesn't look great. Uh, there's actually there's a big game coming up in the Mountain West this uh, during the week. I think there's like a Wednesday contest. Ah, whatever. We'll get to that uh, later in the Not week. Not much in college hoops tonight with the uh, national championship game being played. It's a uh, really weak schedule in college basketball, but you get some good games on Tuesday and Wednesday. I was going to say, Tuesday and Wednesday are absolutely loaded. Uh, oh, Wednesday, uh, San Diego State, Wyoming. That's going to be a good one. Wyoming is uh, an intriguing team mm-hmm. in the Mountain West, and San Diego State, of course, coming off. you got to go to Laramie. got to go to Laramie. It's a tough place to play. What was the, uh, what was the old Tarkari- uh, Tarkanian joke about playing in Laramie? You know, altitude doesn't affect you indoors? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I think some of the players actually believe that, too. <laughs> Hey, man, it's like, uh, hey, you, you believe it, and all of a sudden you start playing hard. Like, this isn't that bad. Um, so, basketball. Before we get to the slate of the association, something interesting happened over the weekend. It was yesterday in this uh, Warriors and Cavaliers game. And it was not just that Clay Thompson made his return, but he did indeed make his return. And he made it pretty well. 17 points in, what, 20 minutes, hit three threes, and uh, I thought he looked pretty good. Yep, had three threes. You know, I'm gonna, I was going to go back and watch it today. I wanted to watch him on defense, see how he operated on that end of the floor, watch that a little bit closer. Uh, but ultimately, looked like he had plenty of explosion, had a nice finish at the rim. Yeah. It looked really nice for Clay Thompson. And it's just cool, right, being a basketball fan, finally seeing Clay Thompson back out on the court after for, yeah, nearly for, three years. I was going to say, for the first time in, I think, about 940 days. Yep. I was Clay at the Angels-Dodgers game in 2019 watching the finals game on my phone, Clay Thompson's last game. And then all of a sudden, now we are here almost three years later. Uh, but betting controversy, Matt Humans, in this contest. So, Apparently, Draymond Green in pregame had tweaked his cap, so he was not going to play in this game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, because Draymond Green's a stand-up guy and he's best friends with Clay Thompson, uh, he wanted to honor Clay. Now, I think there's a real conversation to be had how this honors Clay. I have no idea, uh, but wanted to do so in uh, any way he could. So Draymond got a, I guess you'll call it a ceremonial start. He was out there on the floor. He was announced as part of starting, uh, starting lineups. The ball is tipped. Darius Garland gets the ball. Draymond hobbles over, fouls him. The Cavaliers were in on it. They knew it was going to happen. Fouls Darius Garland, walks off, never seen again, doesn't play a second of wow. the basketball That's game. valuable information if you had that before the game. Right. And it was announced, like, the game tipped off at, like, 535, and it was announced, like, 532, right? So, you know, if, if you had a quick trigger finger, you had the bet, if you had the thing open, you could fire away on unders and nose on Draymond Green, double-doubles, all these things. Well, I will say this, because apparently there's a controversy around this. I don't think there's any controversy in any way whatsoever. If you put this up, I mean, you go by the box score, he registered a stat, he played, mm-hmm. didn't play the whole game, you pay out. Yeah. I don't think there's a question about that, right? Yeah, if he paid, if he played, you got to pay the props, and uh, there's no gray area there. It's, it's kind of like in a golf tournament. If a guy tees off, it's action. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if he hits a second shot, uh, but, but once Draymond Green starts that game, you got to pay the props. Yep. And I'll say, because I'll say this too, right? I, tell me if there what the difference is between this situation where I'm on Twitter and I see Sham Sharani report this and I get to put a prop in really quickly mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm on Twitter and I see Sham Sharani tell me that LeBron James isn't playing tonight and I get in a bet in really quickly. There's no difference. 
So to me, like if there are indeed like operators who aren't going to pay out on something like this, that's an insanely slippery slope where now all of a sudden you're talking about looking at, again, informationally based bets just on sides or totals that you're going to sit there and turn your nose up at. And I'm sure there were some people who bet Draymond Green's props over. Right. And uh, did the book refund those bets? So there were a couple of uh, there were a couple of shops uh, that apparently did okay. in terms of it actually paid out the unders and actually voided the overs. So that's a pretty okay. nice thing to do if you want to do that. Uh, see, it looked like BetMGM confirmed uh, to over at the Action Network that all under bets were paid, over bets were losses, so grading it just as normal. And I think that's the case to be made. That, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a prop bet. Some people got information in, but I was surprised to see that this was like a, a controversy. I thought it was pretty, pretty cut and dry. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how much money was involved in it, too. You, you would think it's not that much. You, you don't get big limits on props, and this was a last-minute thing. Right. Now, this, this is the other thing I laugh at, because it is being reported as millions of dollars no, hanging on. in the balance. Come on. I, I th- that's, I would, your point is a very strong one. The limits on props are not that high. I would doubt that in that short amount of time before they were pulled off the board, somebody would be able to get down millions of dollars on something like this. No. I don't know, maybe as a collective in the entire country, but there are props out here, or there are shops out here that don't hang props on every single one of these games. Right. So I would doubt that. I, by the way, just to reiterate, too, I, I texted Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate Superbook, uh, and he said, too, yeah, we just go by the box score. If we had a prop last night, which they didn't, we would have to pay. We'd pay and move on. Pretty simple. So Easy win and cover for the Warriors, 96-82, to 82, is seven and a half point favorites. And I thought the uh, thing that jumped out from that game is uh, how that stayed under the total. Yeah. Didn't even threaten the total. 215 and a half was the closing total. It lands on 178. Yes, sir. I got to tell you, man, uh, watching this team, uh, it is going to be interesting how the Cavaliers. So the Cavaliers, I'm going to update this later today, but they are only six wins away from surpassing their win total. But we know that they lost Colin Sexton earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Ricky Rubio is done for the year with the ACL tear. And very quietly, since Ricky Rubio has been gone, their defense has kind of hit the skids, right? They haven't covered in a while. So I'm really curious. The Oklahoma City Thunder were one of the worst win total beats you'll ever see, ever, when they failed to win three games down the stretch when there were 26 games remaining or whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. okay, to go over the win total because they were just tanking immediately. Um, plenty of real estate. It's a well-coached team. They have a lot of good talent like Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. I think they're going to surpass their win total, but could you imagine if they don't? Uh, let's see, in the final four months? They only need six wins. Yeah, I think they're going to top the total. I, th- I think so, too. But part of me is rooting for, like, a really good sweat here, like a 20-game losing streak out of nowhere, <laughs> just so we can see if this is going to happen. But uh, that's the big-picture stuff. All right, with that, now we do have a pretty good card up today. Seven in the games on tonight's card. Yeah, and some good ones, too. And I think, you know, one of the ones that is uh, at the t- – let, let's start here because uh, I kind of hate this team. Not really. Indiana and Boston because Boston, as we know, last time we were on the air together – uh, we were recapping the Thursday night loss for the Boston Celtics. 25-point uh, blown lead, right? <laughs> yeah, 25 points in the first, uh, first half, 16-point lead at halftime, ultimately lose at the gun from an R.J. Barrett desperate heave uh, that won the game. So they go out and they exact revenge in a big way against the New York Knicks, just beat the paste out of them over the weekend. And so now they're taking on the Celtics, or excuse me, the Pacers. Six and a half points is the spread with a total of 212 and a half. Now, I didn't do anything in this game, but I will say this, and this is a couple of things that I wrote about uh, in this one, humans. First off, if you look at uh, Indiana, they're actually quietly 4-1 and one against the spread in their last four games, despite the fact that they're starting a rookie G League backcourt uh, of, Ky- uh, if I could talk, Kiefer Sykes and Dwayne Washington, mm. Jr., Right, that's been their starting backcourt for a while. But 
They're 4-1 against spread in their last five games. Does look like they could potentially get Malcolm Brogdon back, and that's pretty big. Brogdon, if you look at it, on the floor, improves the Indiana Pacers defensive rating by 5.7 points every 100 possessions. And the problem with Boston this year has not been defense. It has been their offense. During this 2-5 and five ATS streak that they're on, if you're looking at their last seven, their offensive efficiency, one of the worst. It had 109.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, fourth quarter offensive efficiency this year for the Celtics, 104.2. Like, it's just been abysmal uh, how inefficient this offense has been. So if Brogdon comes back, I'd expect to see this total uh, dip a little bit farther. I think that's why it's dipped, because he was upgraded to questionable. You'd expect him to be out there. But uh, it's an interesting game because I don't know. I just don't know how good the Celtics actually are. I think offensively they've been awful. You know what I mean? But the best game on the card, without a doubt, is going to be Milwaukee and Charlotte. This is going to be freaking awesome. These two teams have played some fantastic games up to this point. They have split up to this point and through the two games, but the Charlotte Hornets 2-0 against the spread in those two meetings. How about this? Offensive rating in two games against Milwaukee Bucks, 114.4 for the Hornets, 37.4% on 49.5 three-point attempts per game. Mm, <laughs> They're just drilling threes left and right against the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks are up to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It says, what makes this fun, one, you can see the total, so you know it's going to be high-scoring. But this is, this is a classic matchup of two teams that do something that bother the other a lot, right? So take, for example, Giannis Antetokounmpo through two games against the Charlotte Hornets, humans, 83 points on 26 of 44 shooting from the floor. They have no answer for him. Unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, yep, absolutely, absolutely unstoppable, right? Bucks want to shoot threes. They want to attack the rim. That rim defense is not very good for the Charlotte Hornets. But on the flip side, Hornets, one of the best teams off of live rebounds and transitions. They'll shoot a lot of threes. Bucks give up a lot of threes defensively. So it's just going to be one where, like, the way I looked at it, through two games, the Hornets have shot the ball extremely well, obviously. 37% doesn't sound like much, but on 49.5 three-point attempts, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Uh, but when you look at this matchup overall, the Bucks have just been getting the poor side of this win, and like their offense has been unstoppable. It's just that they can't stop the other one. I think I'm going to believe in Giannis and the Bucks to kind of get on the right side of this here against the Charlotte Hornets. Bucks off a big win over the Nets in Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, highest total on the board tonight in this game, 236.5. Oh, yeah, baby. All right. 236. Uh, we'll get to best bets. Uh, we'll update that, update the National Football League, see what we finished in the regular season as we move on into the postseason. Got a lot to get to here in the last 15 minutes, so don't go anywhere. It is the Edge here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. On VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Best bets coming up next. Welcome back. This segment of The Edge is brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray. No more spit cups. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke free, spit free, and available in 10 varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. For your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths. So you can find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide. So it's never been easier to find your Zen. Go to zen.com slash find to locate a store near you. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Let's do it. Best bets. Okay, where do you want to start? Start in the NBA. That's what the screen tells me. Uh, last week, 
Couldn't pick my nose, Matt Eubens. It was a bad week. Bad, the worst week of the season. You're going to go through ebbs and flows of a big season. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's a long season. You're going to have slumps. Uh, you had a minor slump last week. You're still 51 and 33. That's pretty strong. So uh, we'll get back on the horse. And we talked about this game. Bucks minus two. Uh, let's roll with it. And keep in mind, this is the other point that I didn't get to, too. This is the fascinating part about this game because I do think these two teams match up well with one another in terms of their offenses against the opposing defense. But when they met each other in the first game of uh, the first day of December, the Bucks were a nine-point favorite. Mm-hmm. And yes, Drew Holiday was playing, right? And th- there's a difference there. Well, the only difference now is that Drew Holiday isn't playing, and they have split two games. That's a pretty dramatic difference. Bucks laying nine right at home, as opposed to now on the road just laying two, and it's up to two and a half in some spots. So look. Like my numbers, I think the Bucks uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo out there should be able to cover a number like this. And uh, barring any ridiculous shooting from the Charlotte Hornets, which is perfectly plausible. By the way, Kelly Oubre was just placed into COVID protocol. So that's also a pretty big deal because that's their sixth man. Uh, I think the Bucks are in a good spot. So hopefully we snap the slide. Bucks minus two. We go to the NFL. All right, let's go to the NFL. Week 18 recap and a regular season recap at that. Two and one for the week. Eagles plus three. <laughs> Didn't have to sweat that just out. Just missed. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is I'm watching the game holding a screaming child, and I'm like, you know what? The Eagles might cover this. This might make my night better. And then it just fell apart from there. So the Eagles never really get it. They lose that game. But 49ers plus five and a half come storming back. That, by the way, that speaks on the wild weekend. We have barely touched on the Rams' complete and utter meltdown in yeah. that game and allowing Jimmy Garoppolo to go downfield to tie that contest the way that he did and win the game outright. So 49ers plus five and a half and a win. Raiders plus three get the win over the Chargers. Regular season record here on the edge, 35-22-1. and one. Yeah, a lot of big names on that Rams defense, but uh, <laughs> not playing so well on that side of the ball right now. And, and Matthew Stafford, two more picks uh, with a turnover binge late in the season. Uh, let's get to your wild yep. card round plays first. I'm going to go two, and I'm going to, has, have the kids say, lay the wood here. Uh, we talked about this on uh, opening lines, and I played this last night. Buccaneers minus eight and a half against the Eagles. And this isn't like an Eagles fraudulent thing. No, this is a matchup thing. The Eagles generate almost all of their offense through their ground game. It is a terrible matchup for them against that front seven of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the best run defenses in terms of efficiency in the NFL. And on the flip side, you are a bend but don't break defense, and Tom Brady feasts on those kind of things, man. Uh, He'll be able to challenge the secondary, and I think that this is a terrible matchup for the Philadelphia Eagles. So Buccaneers minus eight and a half, and then Patriots plus four and a half against the Bills. I know you'll speak on this a little bit more, but to me it's just we saw two games. These two teams are very evenly matched, and I didn't see anything through the first two games that make me think, you know what, let's bump up the power rating on Buffalo by about a point and a half. You know? Yeah, the Patriots are still going to be able to run the ball in the Buffalo defense, and uh, I'm surprised this number's bigger than three. Yeah. I really am. Uh, let's get to a recap of uh, Week 18 for me. Eagles, terrible play. Uh, Ravens blew the lead. That was a loser. Uh, 49ers winner and Raiders winner last night, so 35 and 27 on here for the regular season. And the uh, wild card round, super wild card round, I'm also playing the Patriots plus four and a half. That's the first bet I made last night and the only bet I've made in this round so far. And, uh, you know, Mac, Mac Jones did not play that well the last month of the season. But I still think it's going to be the Patriots defense and running attack that's going to carry them in this game. And Mac Jones can do enough to help the Patriots uh, win this game. Josh Allen, still volatile, man. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's as much play on the number as anything else. I, I, w- I probably still would have played the Patriots a plus three, so I'll take the extra point and a half, a plus four and a half. Really surprised. I got a text from uh, Mac Bridger, a VSIN viewer from South Carolina and uh, North Carolina, and he said, I'm on you, I'm with you tonight on Georgia. 
Mac, I'm on Alabama plus three. I've been, <laughs> I've been on Alabama plus three for the last 10 days. So it's Bama plus three and Bama money line tonight for me against Georgia, just like the first time around when these teams played. JVT, I'll see you at the party tonight. Doug Kazarian of ESPN throwing a big title game bash. You going to be there? No, I'm not going to go. You're not going to go? No, I'm not okay. go. I want to abandon the wife with the uh... – the child, you know what I mean? I abandoned her. I abandoned her yesterday to sit at the Westgate all day. I feel like two days in a row? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, you don't want to uh, leave Mitch Moss and Adam Hill alone at the Westgate. Well, no. I actually left early because they were boring. Hey, how about Mitch on his phone the whole time? He's just tweeting away. Oh. I had to tweet at Mitch while he was sitting next to me oh, Mitch, to get a response from him. Mitch tweets a lot. How about that? He tweets a lot. He looked at me. He goes, that's a good idea. He loves to tweet point. during the games. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get to uh, golf. All three guys on the long shots crew had nice. Cameron Smith at yeah. 25 to 1. So we start the year with a winner. That was a good tournament. In the uh, Tournament of Champions in Maui. Man, that was phenomenal golf. Cameron Smith goes 34 under. John Rahm, 33 under. And uh, Cameron Smith cashes at 25 to 1. J- Justin Thomas had a horrible first round, but came, rallied, and uh, finished in the top five. But got a winner at 25 to 1 on Cameron Smith. And that was the lowest score to par in a 72-hole event in PGA Tour history. I think which uh, records go back to 1950 on that. Did you wow, realize really? that? No, I didn't know that. 34 under. Three players in that tournament posted the most strokes under par in a 72-hole PGA event. Previous record was 31 under by Ernie Els in this same tournament, and that was in 2003. Cameron Smith at 34, Rom 33, Matt Jones and Aussie at 32 under. Uh, pretty easy scoring out there with no wind in Maui over the weekend. Yeah, it was a, so I had one of the guys that I had that was closest in contention uh, going into Sunday was Sung J.M., but I was telling you off the air, like the kind of tournament that was, Sung J.M. was 21 under going into Sunday. And had no shot. Yeah, had no shot. I know. <laughs> A lot of guys who played well were 20-something under and had no shot going into uh, Sunday. Yeah. And Hideki Matsuyama wore yellow pants in the first round, so we knew that he was toast. Uh, you can't show up in banana pants on the first day and think you're going to win a tournament. There's a reason why he two-putted that final hole <laughs> in, the round, in the first round. Uh, all right. Uh, you got anything else on your radar there? Uh, that's it. We're going to handicap more golf this week. The PGA Good. goes to Honolulu for the Sony Open. We'll have Wes Reynolds on the show. we got Big Ten college hoops we'll handicap tomorrow, too. Like I said, no college hoops tonight. Uh, but all eyes on the Alabama-Georgia game, and hopefully Nick Saban brings it home as a dog tonight. Yes. Now, uh, also we should note, too, uh, if you go to VEASAN.com, you get a whole bunch of different analysis and everything like that. Uh, Bruce Marshall, if you can find you can find picks up on there, too. Georgia minus 2.5, according to Bruce Marshall. Steve Mackinnon up on Alabama, plus 3. Also notes with an exclamation mark next to it. Shop around. You always want to do that. I, I noticed Matt uh, Metcalf of Circus Sports you know, a story that's uh, being floated around on Twitter said this is not the typical game where you have sharps on both sides. You don't. I do think there was sharper money on Alabama at plus three. Mm-hmm. No sharps are going to take Alabama plus two and a half. You're not doing right. that. If you're a sharp and you like Georgia, you're laying two and a half or you're laying the money line price if you can find a cheap one on this game. But Metcalf did say there's not really a sharp side here because you got sharps on both sides. Yes. Now, can I say, is it? That's from Circus' perspective, right? Because I would assume that you can probably Circus find... is a sharp book. No, they, no, they are, yeah. of course. That's not to say they aren't, but a sharp better could be on, right? You could have a sharp action on both sides, but shopping at different books is essentially what I'm saying. Sure. Right? be interesting to see what this is going to be. But I think Alabama, at the end of the day, catching three points against Georgia in a, a matchup that is very much in the side of Alabama, which would be a coaching mismatch. So. 
He gets better coach, yep. better quarterback, and he gets the top three NFL draft uh, prospects on the field are all on the Alabama side. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and uh, Jamison Williams all on the Tide side. But, you know, I, I, I could see if you want to make a case for Georgia, the perceived better team, the favorite in this game in the rematch after getting a wake-up call in the SEC title game. Paul Stone joined us on today's show, and uh, Paul had some props. You can go back and listen to it on vcin.com if you want to catch a replay, but he's, he's definitely on Alabama plus three on the side tonight. Yep. All right, well, last minute here as we kind of look ahead to uh, this coming weekend in the National Football League and next season, too. Uh, we did have a bunch of firings today. We didn't really get to expand on this a lot, but I wanted to mention, you know, we so you and I, it seemed to agree with the Brian Flores thing. Well, I think everybody's uh, a little bit surprised about the Brian Flores firing. But, again, that's a personality conflict, an or- organizational, I'd say a dysfunctional organization. That The firing was kind of a product of that. It's not an indictment of Brian Flores. He's going to get another job and right. maybe very quickly. But not not surprised by any of the other three moves, correct? Matt Nagy, I'd be surprised if Matt Nagy's ever an NFL head coach again. Offense coordinator, sure. But, yeah, not a head coach. Uh, Mike Zimmer's going to get another job, no yep. doubt about it. Yeah, I think the coordinator first, but not a head coach. It was a little rough. Well, it might not be this offseason, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, Zimmer is still one of the better, I would say, you know, he's a top 15 NFL head coach. Well, I got to tell you, I, huh? I would think that the Vikings job, too, is probably the best one right now, yeah, right? It's a pretty good job. Pretty, pretty close to the job. pretty close to the peak in terms of competing for a Super Bowl. Just got to make some tweaks to the roster. All right, we're all done. My guys in the desert coming up next. Good luck tonight, and we will see you tomorrow here on The Edge.